Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. For these next uh, weeks leading up to our weekend away, we are going to be uh, focusing on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, um, I'm hoping that that will be an encouragement to us. Um, just thinking about this time last year as we led up to our, our last weekend away, um, um, if you remember that back that far, we were in Lambeth College. Who remembers Lambeth College? Who, who never came to us at Lambeth College? Who never? Okay, so we've had people join us since we've been there. Um, now, if you notice, the college isn't there anymore. So we kind of got out at the right time, um, if I can put it that way. And then we went through that period, which we don't talk about much in the history of Beacon, the Trinity days. I was going to say years, but it wasn't years. It was, it was weeks, the Trinity weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and that, that leaves us a little bit, um, you know, God, what are you doing? Um, I think... There might have been a number of underlying issues there, but I think the most, the most significant issue, the thing that really led us to come out of Trinity by their request, it wasn't like we felt um, to move on, although some of us would have moved on. Um, but the thing that really was the issue there was around worship. And it was, uh, it was just a, the reality of trying to worship our way and trying to worship their way. I must be honest, um, uh, I'd been in a church like Trinity before. When I was a kid, I grew up in a Baptist church, and Trinity reminded me of that uh, in terms of the worship. And I know that in one of the, the reasons that we left that Baptist church was to, to embrace, I suppose, a new style of worship, which, which we, many of us, have then gone into. Um, but although we came out of Trinity and there would have been a little bit of uncertainty I've got to be honest and say I do see God's guiding hand in, in, in leading us to where we are today, moving us out of the college, moving us through Trinity, because even though that was tricky, Trinity now remain friends. We I still bump into Alan and Jane and, uh, and we chat and, and stuff like that. So we've found friends in that sense. And God has brought us here where we have had some great times of worship. And although the, the venue is small, it's easier to pack it. And then it feels great, isn't it? It's a bit busy. Um, I, I, I get the problems that we've had and the, the challenges we have. But also, it's just been great for, in terms of worship and, and enjoying the presence of God, the participation. We see more participation now. Uh, earlier, you'd have heard, you know, Martin spoke out in tongues and then brought an interpretation uh, something of that will come out as I talk about the Holy Spirit. What I've come to realise, though, even though I see the guiding hand of God, I've come to realise this afresh. I suppose I'm realising this afresh all the time, to be honest. Being in the centre of God's will is not always the easiest place to live. Being where God wants you to be, you kind of think should be feel OK, but it doesn't always feel OK. It doesn't always feel good. It doesn't always feel right. And uh, you just need to look in the scripture 
uh, Joseph was in prison, but he was in the center of God's will. I don't think he thought to himself, praise the Lord, I'm where you want me to be. I don't think he thought that. I think he probably thought, I want to get out of here. If I could, I would. Yeah. But he was in the very center of God's purpose for him. Can you imagine what would have happened had Joseph broken out of prison? Yeah. Prison break. He'd done his own prison break. He got out of prison and he goes off. Then when Pharaoh announces that he wants this guy to come, they go to the prison and Joseph's not there. Can you imagine that he, if he had done that, if he couldn't cope with it enough? Moses led the people out of Egypt and they wandered in the desert and they were where God wanted them to be. Now, that's hard for us to accept, but they were. The desert wasn't a place of where God was like, oh, my goodness, I, I, I'm not sure I, I want to get them out of here. No, the desert was where God was with them, even though it was difficult for them. They were in the center of his will. Even a couple of weeks ago when we talked about the cross, when Jesus hung on the cross and he was bleeding and dying, he was in the very center of the purposes of God for his life. I want to encourage you. Uh, both individually, and I want to encourage us as a church, that the centre of God's will is not always easy. It's not always easy, but it is where the most faith is required. It is where the most hope in God is. And so let me encourage you, don't change your circumstances too quickly because you think to yourself, oh, it's not quite, oh, you know, things aren't working out quite like I thought. Yeah, because, you know, Abraham and Sarah, things weren't working out quite like they thought. Although God blessed Ishmael, Ishmael was never the purpose. It was never the point. It wasn't like God always destined Ishmael. No, God destined Isaac. Ishmael was born because Abraham and Sarah were like, well, it's not quite working out. Let's do something about it. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you in your own life, because some of you are in a situation where you're like, oh, I'm not so sure. Maybe maybe God's saying something else to me. Maybe I need to change the situation that I'm in. And the truth is, you have the power to do that. Yeah. So so the fact that you have the power to do that doesn't mean that God's doing that. But you do have the power to make changes. But sometimes you just need to hang on. Sometimes you need to hold on. And sometimes that's where the faith is. And uh, I want to encourage you individually and I want to encourage us as a church, because deep in my heart, I don't often say this kind of thing. I talked to Pauline and I said, oh, I don't know whether to say that. She said, oh, well, that's quite a nice thing to say. Um, uh, but I don't always do this. Yeah. But deep in my heart, I have real faith and belief, probably a strong conviction that God has a much bigger plan for Beacon than we see. Yeah. I don't think this is it. Yeah. I'm not like thinking I'm just forcing you to be. You've got to get used to being church like this where it's difficult and then you've got to do creation. No, I'm not. I don't think that at all. In my heart, I believe that God has a big plan for this church. Yeah. And my prayer for you and for me is that we are around when he realizes it. I remember in my previous church. Um, and this guy just had insight. I was talking to one of the guys, one of the younger guys who was there, and I was kind of asking him the question, because we were going through a difficult time, why are you staying? I couldn't work out why he was staying. And his words were, I want to be around when the revolution comes. Yeah? 
And he now remains a mainstay in a church that at that point was maybe 120 people struggling, lots of different views, to a church now that's maybe 1,200 people on three, four different sites. And he's been part of the reason it's got there. Yeah, he wanted to be around when the revolution comes. Yeah, do you want to be around when the revolution comes? Or are you thinking, do you know what, I'm just going to go and have my own revolution? So I want to encourage you, and my prayer is that we hang on together and that you hang on for whatever it is God's doing in your life, but that we hang on for what God is doing in this church because God has spoken over this church. Yeah, and hopefully I can bring some of that, but God has spoken over us as a church. It's not just that, that because you'll know, I mean, it's not necessarily Mr. Always Positive, always looking, you know, it's not like that, uh, but there is a conviction in me that God has plans and purposes for us as a people and so this month is why don't you say anything about this month because uh, uh, John said that so cool so we're going to look at the person and the work of the Holy Spirit it's always hard to know where and when to, to start a talk like this uh, when I grew up my story would be that that in the first church I was in, that Baptist church, which, if I'm honest, Trinity reminded me of, we weren't really experiencing the Holy Spirit. We, we, we weren't. We were. We used to. The, I remember the hymns. I used to sing the hymns. I used to run around. Yeah? That was what I did as a kid. I used to enjoy church because there was an old lady at the end who gave us sweets, and we used to queue up. and And I used to do that. I used to think, yeah, church is great because there are sweets at church. That's why you go to church. Um, and. Uh, I remember a group within the church, though, were hungry for more of God. There was, I, I don't think they knew what that was, but they were hungry for more of God. So there must be more than this was the kind of thing that was going on at that time. And, and this is a while ago. Some of you weren't even born. This is like the late 70s. Yeah? Who was born in the 70s? Yeah, there's a few of us. Like Some of us don't even want to admit, you know, I was born then. I remember. But it was that kind of time. People were hungry for more of God. And what was happening was they were beginning in some context to experience different things um, in terms of their worship. And, and in particular, some groups were beginning to experience things like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, so Martin spoke out in tongues um, uh, just earlier. And in, and in my church, in my, my first church, that kind of thing didn't happen. And if it happened, people would have been like, oh, my goodness, what on earth is going on here? Yeah. And so some churches and some groups at that time struggled with this idea of 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 the gifts of the Holy Spirit being at work and being available for today. And there was a very strong theology that said the gifts of the spirit died out in the apostolic age. And what they meant by that was it died out by the end of the Bible. It had all over. That's what people meant. But then there was a. A group, a growing group, who were beginning to discover, no, the gifts of the Spirit are available for us today. And so there was, if you like, a battle that went on 30, 40 years ago. I'm sure that Martin and Maureen, to some degree, know that battle. That there was a battle that was going on within many churches towards the work of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit and how that worked out today. And it didn't happen in that old Baptist church I was in, uh, but a group left that Baptist church and joined another church where they were much more open to the things of the Spirit. And 
a lot of the new church movements that we know about, so you would have heard of Vineyard, you'd have heard of New Frontiers, you'd have heard of Ichthus, uh, Pioneer, Salt and Light. These, what they call new church movements, came about during a period of time when people were struggling with this thing about the Holy Spirit. And people left traditional churches and they joined together in order to be able to experience a new way in worship. Now, it's interesting, 40 years later or whatever, many churches now do the same thing. So although it began with a few, now you have much more traditional churches that are full of the Holy Spirit and the work of God and doing, doing stuff in the midst. And even those churches that, that have this almost view that the Holy Spirit and its gifts are not available in the same way today, even they're having to acknowledge things that once upon a time they didn't. And so that was a bit of my background. I grew up in that kind of environment. I grew up in a church where people spoke in tongues regularly and I remember people visiting our church because they simply wanted to hear it. Because it was like, well, people speaking to oh, what does that sound like? So people would visit the church simply to hear people speaking in tongues. And OK, we don't speak in tongues uh, regularly on a Sunday, but I can tell you what, I pray in tongues regularly. Yeah, and I'm sure there are many here. And what did the Apostle Paul say? I pray in tongues more than all of you. Yeah, tongues was a gift given to the church. And it's still a gift given to the church. So after all these 40 years, at one level, a talk on the Holy Spirit, which in the past might have led to people really reacting inside and some people leaving the meeting, some people shouting out and saying, no, that's wrong. And all of that I know happened. Uh, 40 years later, when I speak on the Holy Spirit, you're like, oh, yeah, OK, yeah, the Holy Spirit. Yeah. How, how many of you have done Alpha? OK, most of our church have done Alpha and in Alpha there's an Alpha weekend. Yeah? And the Alpha weekend is all about the Holy Spirit. So, so if you know nothing else, you'll know that. You'll know how, how it kind of works. And so to speak on it now, I'm speaking into ground that has already been ploughed, if you like, ground that's already been dug. And, uh, and I'm speaking into that context. But what I'm really keen for is that not that you understand it, but that you know it for yourself. And I'm not keen simply that we know it in a meeting, that oh, we can get more Holy Spirit in the meeting. I want you to get more Holy Spirit in your life. That daily when you walk with God, you recognise, oh man, the Holy Spirit is with me. Yeah, That me living a sinless life, and please don't mishear me when I say that, I don't mean that you'll never sin, but me living the life that God wants for me is possible because of the Holy Spirit. It's not possible otherwise, because otherwise it's all to do with my effort. It's, but it's possible because of the work of the Holy Spirit in me. And so in a sense, I, I want to unpack that a bit. And over the next couple of weeks, uh, different people are just going to unpack this. So I'm just going to go to one passage. Actually, I've got loads of passages, but I'm going to go to one passage and, uh, and speak from there. And uh, the passage is John chapter 7. And it's a few verses, John chapter 7. And you'll know this part of the story. Uh, Jesus has, uh, in, the, in the early part of John, Jesus has done various various miracles and he's, he's done various teaching. Uh, and people have reacted to him. Yeah, Even his own family have reacted a bit to Jesus. And there comes a point where they're going to the big feast down in Jerusalem. Uh, the, the, I suppose it would have been the the Passover in that particular year, the big feast that they're going down to. And his family say to him, 
oh, maybe you need to go to the feast because like you're doing all this great God stuff. Maybe you need to go down there. And, uh, you know, people need to see a prophet in action, don't they, Jesus? Yeah, so it wasn't that they believed in him, but they were kind of saying, if that's what you think you are, then you need to go to the place where that kind of thing happens. And Jesus says, oh, no, you know, I'm not going. And he doesn't. Initially, he doesn't go. But then he goes quietly and I suppose um, not publicly. He goes to the feast where all the all the people are gathering. Jesus ends up at the feast. And then on the last day of the feast, he does this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. You see, at Easter, we can focus on, and rightly so, this very big moment in the story of God, which is the, the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And we are reminded to remember that continuously. And also, we know that Jesus' death and resurrection were promised. It wasn't like it just happened. It was promised in the Old Testament. The Old Testament speaks of it. Yeah. And in fact, they, it speaks of it so clearly and so much that the Jews at the time were waiting for a promised Messiah. They were waiting for something to happen. But you know what? It was not the only promise of the Old Testament. The only promise of the Old Testament was not that one day a saviour would be born and that he would be Christ the Lord and he would save the people from their sins. That was not the only promise of the Old Testament. God made another promise. And this other promise is the one that Jesus is referring to in John 7, 37 to 39. Isaiah 55 says this. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. It's a prophetic picture looking ahead, not just to Jesus, but to the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, what God had realised in the Old Testament, and probably he knew because it was always his plan and his purpose, but what had happened in the Old Testament was this. No matter how many laws he gave, the people rebelled. No matter how many laws there were, the people always found a way to disobey. Even when they said to him, we will do what you say. We will do it because we know that you're God. Even when they said all that, even though they revered Moses as their leader, they didn't always do what he said. Yeah. And so God made this promise and he said, you know what? I am going to send my spirit. I am going to write their, the, my law on their hearts. I'm not just going to give it to them in tablets of stone. I'm going to write it on their hearts so that they will obey me from the inside. That's what he said he would do. And he began to make this promise to the people. I'm going to satisfy their longing for God from the inside, not just from the outside. That's what he said. And there were scriptures that, that pointed towards this. Ezekiel 36 says this. This is God speaking through Ezekiel to the people 
I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. God was going to do something. That whatever else we make of the Old Testament and faith, the biggest difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the New Covenant under which we live is we have the Spirit of God living within us. And they didn't. By and large, they didn't. So he says, I'm going to put a new heart and a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. So something from the inside would help me to be the kind of person that God would want me to be. That's what he was doing. He'd promised to send his spirit. Now, it wasn't that the Holy Spirit wasn't at work in the Old Testament. I think we know that the Holy Spirit was at work in many, many different ways. But in this kind of more general way across people, it wasn't at work in the Old Testament. And therefore, we get the promise in Joel where it says afterwards, after God was going to spoke in this prophetic way, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, you need to understand what that doesn't mean, necessarily. It, there is a general sense of the Holy Spirit is, is poured out because people, people do have more of a conscience. Yeah, People do have more of a conscience. But there was something specific because when Jesus speaks, he says, you know, um, the Holy Spirit will come upon those who believe in me. Who believe in me. The promise was this almost indiscriminate one that comes, that Jesus clarifies. You see, the Bible promised that the Messiah would come, but it also promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And it, it, and it promised that the Holy Spirit would come. That it would be the Holy Spirit that helps the likes of you and me to follow God. What Jesus did was he made the way possible for us to do that. What the Holy Spirit does is he helps me do that. You must understand the difference. It's the Holy Spirit that helps you to lead the life that God would have you lead. It's not your knowledge that does that. It's the Holy Spirit that does that, that works within you. And so what happened was, God makes this promise, and then it says in that passage I read, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So you see not only were there two promises, but there were two very distinct acts that were going to happen. The first was the Son of God was going to come incarnate. He was going to become man. He was going to live among us. He was going to do what we would do. He was going to eat and drink and, and operate like a man. But actually, there was another thing that had to happen. Sometimes as Christians, we simply live as though Jesus died and rose again. And that was it. The danger is that we could think that even now. But if we lived 2000 years ago alongside the disciples today, we would be scared. Jesus would have risen, but we would be scared. Yeah, because we didn't know what was going on. And in fact, what does the Bible say? That at the time of Pentecost, they were locked in an upper room. Why? For fear of the Jews. They were scared. They were confused. They were frightened. Even after Jesus rose, they couldn't explain it all. It didn't make sense to them all. We don't stand here scared. 
But we don't not stand here scared simply because he rose again. We don't stand here scared because the Holy Spirit came and explained it to us. That's why we don't stand here scared. So there had to come a point in order for the, the promises of God to be fulfilled was not just that Jesus came, although that was crucially important, and that Jesus lived that obedient life, that he died and rose again. But there had to come a point when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And what does Jesus say to his disciples? I must go. If I don't go, he doesn't come. Now just imagine that for a moment. Jesus is saying, if I don't go, the next part of God's plan won't happen. I need to go. I must go. I must return to the Father. That's my place now at the right hand of the Father where I'll be praying for you. And then when I go, the Holy Spirit will come. And it says the Holy Spirit does three things, three main things. The Holy Spirit does many things. But let's move on from the controversies that we sometimes get to. He does three main things. And the first Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. And you see that exactly in the book of Acts, don't you? Because Peter says, this is what was promised. Do you know what? That knowledge didn't come to Peter because he spent time like reading and he was trying to understand it and, and then he worked it out. It came. It was a spiritual revelation that the Holy Spirit brought to him. These things have happened This is just as he said. How many times do you read in the epistles and in the book of Acts, the disciples saying things like, this is just what he said would happen. I remember Jesus told us this. He told us that, oh, you know, um, uh, I, I'm going to... I'm going to die and then in three days. He said that that's what was going to happen. The reason they believed what they believed was because they began to realize Jesus said all of these things and now all of these things are coming to pass. He will teach us. Now, do you know what? Just to comment on people who don't believe the work of the Spirit in the same way today as maybe previously, he still needs to teach and remind us, doesn't he? You still need to be reminded of the things that he's done. You still need to be taught. Is that not right? We still need that. We still need the Holy Spirit. That it's not enough for me to read the Bible and think I know what's going on. It's only through revelation of the Holy Spirit that the Bible makes any sense to anyone. That's why people can get saved simply by reading the Bible. They don't need you or I to explain it to them because the Holy Spirit brings understanding. The second thing that the Holy Spirit does is he empowers us to witness. And it's really simple. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So there comes a point where, where, where upon the disciples, upon those who believed in Jesus, upon those who already trusted Jesus, the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. So sometimes people have sort of theological discussions around uh, are people baptised in the Spirit as a separate event? If we just follow the story, there comes a point where those who believed in Jesus would be filled with the Holy Spirit. That they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus hadn't been raised. Jesus hadn't been glorified. Jesus hadn't ascended to heaven. It was only after that happened that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. Something else had to happen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then the third thing that the Holy Spirit does 
is he assures us of our salvation. So if you're the kind of Christian who always doubts, yeah, I hope you're not, but if you're the kind of Christian who always doubts, you're the kind of Christian that always thinks to yourself, do you know what, I'm just not sure I'm pleasing the Lord, I'm just not sure, you know, I, I need to do stuff, I need to, I need to get more involved. I'm not saying don't get involved, this isn't an excuse for not doing anything. Yeah, please. Um, but if you're the kind of Christian that in the end, the reason you do things is you're motivated by, well, I'm not so sure, I just want to please God, all that kind of thing that can happen, you need to understand what Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 tells you when it says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. Think back whenever it was you first heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Yeah, When you first understood it, when you first realized and remembered, oh my goodness, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. When you first realized that that was true for you, I'm sure even, for, even those of us who are not the most enthusiastic, you probably thought, oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Yeah, And if you really got that, you would understand at that moment that you didn't do anything to deserve it. Therefore, you can do nothing to hold on to it. It is not your thing to go, well, oh, now he's done that for me. What can I do for him? How can I ensure that I sort of match that? You will never match it. So in the end, you have to get to the point where you say, you know, I'm not even going to try and match it. Yeah, I will love him because he loved me. I won't love him to try and earn that love because I can't. But Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, you were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, yeah, the moment you believed, the moment you understood, the moment you by faith accepted what Jesus had done, you were marked in him with a seal. What was that seal? The promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. You were marked in him with a seal. Brothers and sisters, I know we do, but you need never doubt. Or if you do, you can return to this and go, no. I believed. I was included in Christ. Yeah, I believed in him. And he gave me the Holy Spirit as a deposit. It guarantees what is to come. Yeah. How do I know I'm saved to the end? How do I know I'll be with him in the end? Because of the Holy Spirit. That's how I know. I don't just know because of things that I've read or because somebody's told me. I know because of the Holy Spirit. You know because of the Holy Spirit in you. That should give you a sense of assurance, a sense of security in your heart. I talked a little bit uh, at the beginning about my journey with the Holy Spirit. I remember the first time was I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was 13 years old. I was at a Bible camp called the Downs Bible Week. And I, I remember responding. I just went out to be prayed for. And hey, I, I'm not, you know, I wish I was remarkable, but I'm not remarkable in any way. And I just went out and it was quietly there. And in fact, the thing that I remember about it, if I'm really honest, is because I don't like wasps particularly. Yeah, wasps, I don't really like them. Still try and grapple with God. Why do you create wasps? I can't, I'm not sure what their purpose is. They don't seem to do any good in the world. Um, um, but they do bad, God, they do bad. I remember 
when I was being prayed for at that moment, um, and this guy was praying for me, and I was, I can't remember how I was standing, but I noticed there was a wasp by my hand. So I remember the time I was filled with those, there was this wasp by my hand, and I was like, why is that there now? Of all times, of all moments, why is the wasp there? And he was like just gently flicking it away. He said, come Holy Spirit, and he's just flicking the wasp away. And I'm like, why? And I, I was trying to be brave, yeah, because I didn't like them. Um, but I remember that moment, and I remember at that moment uh, speaking in tongues and then really developing that gift and, and really beginning to pray. I remember God just giving me that sense of assurance. Now, I must be honest, at 13, and, and I can't lie about this because Phil's in the room and he would know, I didn't become a good guy. <laughs> I didn't. I did not become a good guy. I was immature, even for a 13-year-old boy. I was, I was immature for a 13-year-old boy. So you can imagine what that must have been like. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and there were other moments where I had such deep and rich experiences of God that I was like, oh, I'm so grateful to him. I'm so grateful that he carried me. But I remember that experience. I then remember in my church us having experiences of the Holy Spirit and seeing people get healed, seeing people set free. Uh, we see people who were who were manifesting in many various different ways, whether it was demonic or whatever. We saw all of that kind of stuff in our church. It was our experience of of the move of God at that time. This was like probably eighties and early nineties. It was the experience. I remember when the Toronto blessing came, and there were many critics of it, but I remember it hitting our church and places like that. And all moves of God have their excesses and their critics and and the idea is you can't focus too much on those either two extremes, the excess or that you can't you can't focus on that. For me, my grapplings went like this. Why did I embrace the work of the spirit that didn't look comfortable, that didn't look easy, that didn't look controlled, that didn't look ordered? Why did I do it? Because I just could not say, God can't do that. I just could not. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't say God doesn't move. I couldn't limit God to what I thought. Yeah, because do you know what? That's exactly what the Pharisees did. They limited God. The Messiah won't look like Jesus looked. Therefore, Jesus can't be the Messiah. That was kind of their thoughts. And I thought, I can't say the Holy Spirit won't look like this. Therefore, this can't be the Holy Spirit. So I embraced it partly for that reason. Also, I embraced it because I just felt God promised to send his Holy Spirit. He promised to send it. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, it affects them in different ways. However, there has been a challenge with that. So although I believe that, and I believe that, and I had occasions when I was slain in the Spirit, I had occasions when I wasn't, and I observed all sorts of things, and sometimes I wondered about them, I found this challenge. The Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit was not primarily sent to turn up in Christian meetings. Yeah, did you know that? <laughs> it wasn't primarily because of for the meetings. It wasn't like God said, uh, do you know what, in, two, in the 2000s they're going to gather Christians and where they gather I'm going to send my spirit on them. Yeah, because that would be bizarre. If you think about salvation, salvation is for Christians who go to church. To people who, if you turn up at church, then that's, that's salvation. That's what it means to be Christian as you come to church. Of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. 
The Holy Spirit was not designed simply to come to meetings because Jesus didn't have meetings, did he? He wandered around and he worked and he, he did acts. The Holy Spirit was not purely coming to, 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 through healings and miracles to show that he was there. It wasn't purely for that. The Holy Spirit was to come and to be with you and to be in you always. So when you come together, yeah, there might be experiences of the Holy Spirit. There might be manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit must be in you always. And the fruit of the Spirit must become part of how you live. Yeah. So if you're not growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and, and all those other things, if you're not growing in those things, then you have to question, oh, what is the Holy Spirit doing in me? Yeah. There's no point prophesying if you're not kind. I don't, I don't mean to be funny. There's no, I don't have much time for that. That you could prophesy and bring words and you can bring tongues, but actually you're not gentle and patient and kind. Or you're at least not working towards that. I recognise we're not all like that. Yeah? Before anyone says, well, I mean, we know you. Yeah? We're not all like that. But, that. but those things must go together. The fruit of the Spirit must be the most natural observation of the work of the Spirit in someone's life, even more than the gifts. Because the fruit is available, the fruit is just there. If you're in the spirit, the fruit will come. Yeah? But God endows certain people with gifts. So I have found that, that it's, it's uh, I'd rather us work, walk faithfully and fruitfully with the work of the spirit. But I do believe that God has plans and purposes and that his spirit is here. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, it says, The one who prophesies, and I've spoken of this before, speaks to people, why? For their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Yeah? The Holy Spirit has come to equip us, has come to help us. And if, if I just take prophecy as an example, for me, it is one of the most precious gifts because it's the way God has directed I would say in, as part of, say, part of growing up as part of New Frontiers, the main way that movement was directed was through the prophetic word of God that was then submitted to, to leaders or whatever, but it was God led it. God spoke and we acted. Yeah? And do you know what? That's often how I live. God speaks and then I'll do stuff. Yeah? And I try not to do stuff otherwise. Now, that is a challenge. You know, We're in a situation where we're like, the building's not quite suitable and I could probably go and hire a school tomorrow and that kind of thing. But I'm like, God, I need you to speak. Yeah, because I, I don't want to I don't want to produce an Ishmael. And then an Isaac. Right. You get it. Yeah. No. no. Pauline knows. OK, I'm just aware uh, of the time and I'm aware that we've got some some weeks on this. So I'm just going to ask us to stand for a moment. And Phil, why don't you just come and just play a bit? We're just going to stand. We're, we're not going to do a big response, but I do want us to respond for a moment. And I want to encourage you just to close your eyes where you are. And I want to encourage you uh, to, to hold out your hands. And uh, what this is about, it's not about, oh, you know, what does all that mean? Um, I want you to recognise that the Holy Spirit is a person who's with you. You to move there. I want you to become so, so enraptured by Him 
that you will act on stuff, not because uh, you want to, but when the Holy Spirit brings something, you'll go, I need to sort that. Why? Because I don't want to lose this sense of, of tenderness to his promptings. The moment he speaks and we don't act, we become a little bit less aware of him. He's very sensitive. The Holy Spirit will not come and just take you over. But he'll speak tenderly. And you know what I find often he does, particularly at the beginning of something, the beginning of a new work or the beginning of a new thing in my own life, is he often brings to light areas I need to sort. And let me just give you this example. Phil, can you just turn it down a little bit? Let me just give you this one example of a recent thing that's happened. The Holy Spirit kept bringing something to light in me that he said I needed to sort out. And you know what? The first time it came, I was offended. I thought, no, you're joking. That's not for me to do. I remember I was offended by it. And then the second time, and, and it was an impossibility in my mind to do anything about it. And then he brought it again. The same thing. I was like, oh. And then I remember I spent a whole morning, and okay, I, I can do this, yeah. Let's go spend the morning in prayer. I spent a whole morning grappling with the fact that the Holy Spirit had highlighted something in me that he wanted me to sort out, and I didn't want to do it. But by the end of that morning, I had kind of surrendered myself. And one of the reasons I surrendered myself was because I knew if I refused him on this, the next time he spoke, it wouldn't be as clear. And I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to get to the place where I wasn't tender enough. And so I just want to encourage you at this moment, at the beginning of this new month, April, leading up to our weekend away, I want you to go, Holy Spirit, if there is anything in me, any way in me that you've been highlighting, that you want me to sort and put right in order that I can remain open and tender to you, then would you do that? And would you give me the courage to, and the conviction to act on it? So I did. I acted on what the Holy Spirit said. And it's been humbling to do that. You know, I, I, I brought it to others. I weighed it with people, but I acted on what the Holy Spirit said. And it's been a humbling experience to do that. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. If you want to get back to that point of real tenderness with him, real sensitivity to what he says, you might have some stuff to sort. If you've not felt the need to apologise or ask forgiveness for someone for a long time, then you just might need to think. Because God is always drawing us to that place so that we remain tender to him. We remain sensitive to how he lives. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. And I want to pray that in every heart today, there might be a move towards a greater and deeper walk with the Holy Spirit. I pray that we would grow to love him, that we would grow to be so tender in our conscience that whenever he raises stuff, we act on it. We don't explain it away because that's easy, but we act on it. Father, I pray that we will become a church that is very tender. And Lord, as we grow tender in you and with you, you will pour out your spirit upon us 
in ways that we can only begin to dream. We can't even begin to dream what you might do through us and in us. But Lord, right now I pray for that tender touch of the Spirit that speaks to each one of us. For some of us, it it requires us to sort something with someone. For others, it requires you to settle in your heart, okay, I'm not going to try the Ishmael route, I'm going to wait for God. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to put my whole life into his hands. So I pray for that, Father, for each one of us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you have been so kind to me. I thank you for that experience that I have of you, which I would not swap for anything. And I pray, my Father, that for each one of us here, we would grow in that kind of relationship. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.